Hello, my field daisies. Today's life lesson is make promises you can keep and make plans to keep those promises. All right, roll the intro music. Hello again, my field daisies. I am back. I do apologize. Last week I missed an episode. Um, I was in New Orleans celebrating a friend's uh, bachelorette party. And yeah, I know I said I would make episodes every Sunday and I skipped one. So I broke my promises to all of y'all. And the thing is, one podcast episode a week is totally doable. It is a reasonable expectation, a reasonable goal, a reasonable promise. And yet I, I let life get ahead of me like I usually do. And so that's why I really wanted today's life lesson to not only be to make promises you can keep, but also to make plans to keep those promises, right? I should have planned ahead. I knew that this was coming. I should have just recorded two in a week, you know, had it all nice and ready and just posted it even though I was still in New Orleans. I had the capability to do that. There's there's scheduling software. There's things that I can do to make sure that podcasts happen every single week. So I do apologize. Um, I'm working on it. And yeah, I definitely want to make this a goal for 2022 a podcast a week, a podcast a week. So here I am back again. And um, I, 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 I don't know if you can tell, but I might sound a little bit sick. And that is because I got COVID. Um, yeah, I got, I got COVID and it's not surprising. Um, I did go to go out, you know, I flew, I traveled to New Orleans this past weekend. And it was a place where, you know, mass mandates people there are still mass mandates but people you know were outside in parades not wearing masks and you went out to the bars you didn't really have to wear a mask so it was a bit of a chaos with that i knew the risk that i was taking with that um and i definitely took all the safety precautions when i got home i made sure that from the airport straight into the uber straight into my house was going to quarantine anyway for five days without symptoms but then i started getting symptoms i got a sore throat um and from then I kind of knew, so I took a rapid test. Sincere shout out to two companies. One is iHealth, uh, which is the company that manufactured my antigen rapid test, and two to the company that delivered it to me. So I had already planned to get a COVID test when I came back from New Orleans, which now that I'm talking through this, I made all these plans to make sure I got tested for COVID, yet I didn't make a plan to record a podcast, which is a bit ironic. Um, but yeah, so this company is called Popcorn and they do wrap uh, fast grocery delivery. So it's in San Francisco. I think it's a startup that just um, recently came about and they do like snacks, drinks, um, you know, mainly non-perishable goods. And they uh, had a COVID test on there. And I immediately when I got the notification that they had COVID tests, I, I got one because I was searching everywhere. I was like, I was, I wanted to go in person to get one. Couldn't find appointments anywhere. Looked at Walgreens, CVS. None of them had COVID tests online. 
um, that I could buy, that I could see. And I didn't think any of the stores actually had them. So the fact that popcorn had it, I was able to get it and I'm really thankful for that. So yeah, I, um, I took the test um, two days after I got back and it was obviously positive. Like it's um, very reminiscent of like a pregnancy test, right? It's just like, even if there's a faint, a faint little line on the T, um, that, that means you have it. And, and my line was uh, pretty dark. So I knew I had COVID and, and I could feel fatigue for sure. Like I couldn't keep my eyes open. Um, I had a, I started having a little bit of a fever, a little bit of a cough, um, um, and, and mucus and all that gross stuff. That all being said, I will say I feel like my symptoms were pretty mild. One in part is I'm sure I got the Omicron variant because I didn't lose my sense of taste or smell, but also because I I got boosted as well, so I feel I feel like my vaccine really helped. I, I've had worse colds to be honest. That's what you know. People keep on asking how I'm feeling, and thank you for everyone who's reached out to me and asked how I was feeling. I do feel really supported that way. Um, but yeah, I, 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 everyone I've told, I've just said, you know, it's, it sucks. I definitely, I haven't gotten sick in a very long time, but I definitely remember having worse fevers from the common cold. So I feel a lot better today. It's been, I don't know, maybe four or five days. Um, and I, and I feel a lot better. So here I am recording my podcast and a part of me feels this, um, this almost a sort of like a guilt, right? Because I remember in the beginning of the pandemic, I felt very paranoid, did not want to leave the house, wanted to make it my civic duty to stay at home so that, you know, we could get over this pandemic. Um, you know, I, even on this podcast, I encouraged people to stay indoors as much as possible, um, et cetera, et cetera. But I think... It's just interesting how has time has gone on and this thing is still not over with and there's a plethora of reasons of why that is. And I, and I know that traveling and um, going out is definitely not helping the situation, but it was just, it was, you know, what can you, <laughs> it's, it's just like this moral dilemma of what can you do, right? Because I really wanted to go to my friend's bachelorette party she is a sister to me, not like a sister to me. She is a sister to me. We've known each other since high school. I consider her family and to miss that moment, I just didn't want to do. And so, yeah, like I said, I guess to all those who are considering traveling, I mean, because like, what, what can you do? It's inevitable, right? There's um, birthday parties, there's baby showers, there's, I don't know, graduations that people don't want to miss, weddings, people don't want to miss those. Um, so I guess my advice is to just be safe with it as much as possible, wear your mask as much as possible, please get vaccinated, um, if you have not already, and just to make sure that you do the proper protocols for quarantining yourself after you travel, and I think that's all we can really do, right, at this point, um, yeah, enough jibber-jabbering about that, so because I've, um, uh, one, you know, being with friends, 
and two, now being stuck at home a lot, I've definitely consumed a lot of media. Um, so I, I want to go and, and go through things that I've watched because I've watched so many interesting things lately that I want to geek out and nerd about and obsess over. So uh, let's get right into it. First thing I want to talk about is when I was at the bachelorette party. So um, we were in New Orleans in Louisiana. And so we decided to watch some some Louisiana-themed movies. And the first one we watched was Princess and the Frog. And this movie, I swear, I've, I've catched the beginning of this movie so many times. It's a movie that my friends really love. And I, I definitely distinctly remember watching this movie with the same group of people. But either I've fallen asleep or I had to leave. And I just did not remember the ending of the movie. So this time I was determined to stay up and watch the end of the movie. And so I did. And it was so cute. I loved it. Um, it's definitely, in my mind, one of the top Disney princess movies just because it's such an empowered female character. She's a hardworking gal. She wants to make her own means, you know. And the, the, the way that her and the prince end up falling in love is just such a new age sort of romance. And I highly recommend it. I'm pretty sure everyone out here has seen it. But it was also really interesting to watch um, the, the Louisiana parts of it, you know, the voodoo magics and the, you know, the gumbo and all that stuff while being in Louisiana. That was super cool. Um, while we were there, I actually did get my fortune read um, just because it it's such a, it's not that I necessarily like wholeheartedly believe in these things but it's such a Louisiana experience so I I just wanted to do it and it was actually surprisingly accurate I'm sure she you know reads from body language as well as well as like the tarot cards so you know and the situations that she gives could be applied to a lot of different people but me and my friends were talking about how you know the different things that she said to us it'd be like It'd be almost foolish for her to say these things if, if it wasn't, you know, directed at that particular person. I don't know if that necessarily makes sense, but in the fact that, like, for example, um, one of my friends, she, you know, the voodoo lady was like, hey, um, there's going to be a situation um, where you're going to be feeling really anxious and things are, it looks like things are not going to work out, but just see it through and, and, and it'll work out for the better. And I don't want to necessarily tell her story on the podcast in case she doesn't want it to be told, but it actually, the very next day, it, it turned real for her. Um, and for me, um, you know, I came into the voodoo room and I was dressed in like this fabulous yellow trench coat and I had my nails done and a red lip and this sparkly um, black romper on and you know I looked very feminine really girly and based on um, my tarot cards so the way she does it is like she makes you shuffle the cards yourself and then and then um, when you feel like they're all nice and shuffled properly you give them back to her and then she plays them out and apparently that says something about your future or who you are or whatever and I did that and the way that my cards were laid out is that she said that I was giving a lot of masculine energy, which I thought was pretty interesting. It's like, you know, for her to say that and it not be true, then it'd be like, it's be like, mm, that's, that's not true. But for, for me, um, I've actually been told that before, is that yes, I present myself very girly, but in terms of my, um, 
you know, personality. It's not necessarily like a gender thing, really. Um, because one of my cards was a high priestess, right? And so to be a female priest back in the day, you had to be a real badass of a woman, right? A leader. And that's who I am. I, I tend to take leadership roles and I gravitate towards more, I guess, masculine responsibilities. Um, and so for her to say that, I was like, maybe she read it in my body language, but from the outwardly appearance, it would not seem so, right? So I don't know. It, it was little things like that that I thought was really interesting. Would I say it's worth the money? Um, no. I mean, I, I paid 50 bucks for it, and it was a 15-minute consultation. I mean, that's... Like I could, I could go to therapy and I feel like I would get a more bang for my buck than that. But for the touristy New Orleans experience, yeah, I mean, go for it. I had a good time with my experience with it. The next movie that we watched was loosely Louisiana-based, and that is Interview with the Vampire. This movie is very similar to Princess and the Frog, not in any remotely of the plot or anything like that, but it's similar in the fact that I have started this movie so many times with my same friends, and for some reason just have never gotten to the end of it, whether it was like playing in the background of a party or just, you know, we were doing something else while we were also watching it. I've never actually fully watched the movie, so this time I was like, I am watching this movie. And for those of you who don't know this movie, it was released in 1994, and it follows a vampire who was born an 18th century lord, and then he became a um, vampire who is telling his story to a biographer um, who was, you know, set in the, in the 1990s, right? And so... It's just this really, really cool gothic film with a star-studded cast. The main character who's telling the interview about his vampire biography is actually played by Brad Pitt. And then the vampire who transformed Brad Pitt into a vampire is played by Tom Cruise, which is so crazy. When we were watching the movie, I, I, I couldn't remember who... Uh, Tom Cruise, like, I couldn't, I was like, who is this actor? Who is this actor? And they're like, it's Tom Cruise. I was like, what? He looks completely different. He's blonde. Um, and um, he just, I don't know, he just looks so, young Tom Cruise just looks so different to me. But then immediately when my friend said it, I was like, oh yeah, that's definitely Tom Cruise. And you know, it's interesting. I tend to follow Rotten Tomato reviews. Like when me and my boyfriend go and decide to go see a movie, I like look at Rotten Tomatoes to see if the movie has a higher Rotten Tomatoes, and if it does, then I'm more inclined to see the Rotten Tomato movie, right? The um, Certified Fresh. But this movie actually has a 64% tomato, tomato, tomato meter with an 86% audience score, which I thought was interesting. Um, so I think it's more of a cult classic than a critic classic, I guess, because on IMDb, IMDb the rating is a 7.5 out of 10. So... I guess like my, um, I guess I need to s stop letting Rotten Tomatoes influence my decisions so much because in the thing, the critics consensus said that despite lacking some of the book's subtler shadings and suffering from a some clumsy casting, which I thought was crazy. I mean, clumsy casting, I thought it was an iconic duo and Kristen Dunst was in it as well. Um, 
But yeah, so they said that, you know, Interview of the Vampire benefits from Neil Johnson's, the director's, atmospheric direction and surfeit of gothic thrills. And there was definitely a lot of like cheesy gothic music that was playing over it that just, I don't know, it just made it so juicy, so fun. Um, yeah, I definitely recommend it if you are a like Halloween fiend and you love everything fantasy, vampire-y, werewolf-y. There's no werewolves in this movie, but you know what I mean. If you like that genre, I think you'll like this movie. Um, it is definitely something that is, you know, it was a commercial success, right? It received Oscar nominations for Best Art Direction and Best Original Score. Kristen Dunst was, um, or is it Kristen or is it Kirsten? <laughs> but she was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actress. And fun fact, she was actually the first girl tested for the role of Claudia, which I thought was very interesting. And so I did a little bit of Wikipedia digging, and there are some more interesting facts that I found as well. Uh, for example, the author of the book that was the movie was based on, Anne Rice, uh, she actually had a French actor in mind for the role of Lewis, which is the role that was played by Tom Cruise. And she was actually very adamant about the fact that she did not picture Tom Cruise for the role at all. And she actually wanted um, Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise to switch roles. She just she said that it was it was so bizarre that it was almost impossible to imagine how it's going to work. Um, and of course, Hollywood didn't listen to her, the director didn't listen to her, but eventually she ended up becoming satisfied with his performance after seeing the completed film, saying that from the moment he appeared, Tom was Lestat for me. Lestat, 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 Lestat. <laughs> yeah, um, as you guys know, I'm, I butcher names a lot on this podcast, so I do apologize if I butchered that. I just watched the film, I don't know why, I can't remember how to pronounce Lestat, Lestat. But yeah, she said that Tom did make Lestat work and was something I could not see in a crystal ball. And she ended up calling Tom Cruise to compliment him and admit that she was wrong. And interestingly enough, because of his star power, Cruise actually received a record 10 million salary and a huge percentage of the profits. So it's, it's really interesting how much star power goes in terms of making a film, especially when um, films are just starting to be made. From my experience, because in, in a very past life, I did work as a film finance um, producer back in LA a long, long time ago, a couple years ago. Um, and yeah, when we were uh, looking for films or when people were pitching films to us, if a script had an actor already attached to it, um, that was, you know, it immediately caught our eye um, because it's just, it's just a matter of return on investment, right? People tend to go to films to see their favorite actors or actresses. And if you can say that they are going to be on it, then there's a high likelihood of success of the film, even if the film is not that great, right? Um, but that comes with a high price, right? To get Tom Cruise, you have to pay a Tom Cruise salary. So it's just this, this, this balancing act, I think, that comes with making a film. And I was almost kind of disappointed because oftentimes it wasn't even really about the writing of the film. It's literally who's attached. So on one hand, you can argue, yeah, it's ridiculous that they have to pay him so much money. But then on the other hand, when you're trying to get more financing for a film, the fact that you have someone attached to it already just makes it so much easier. I don't know. Like I said, huge balancing act. 
But regardless of, of what it was, whether it be the acclaim or the fame of the book itself or the fame of the star power of the actors that were in the film, it ended up being a box office success. Interview with the Vampire was a huge hit when it opened in November 11th in 1994. It had open opening weekend grosses amounting to 36.4 million, some argues between 34 to 37 million. Um, and yeah, the total... Budget was sixty million, and the worldwide gross was two hundred and twenty-four million. So not bad. And the fact that people are still watching it today—I have friends who are diehard fans of the movies. Um, I think it—it it is a cult classic. Now, finally, my last Louisiana New Orleans film uh, is something that I did not actually watch with my friends. I actually watched it on my plane ride back to San Francisco. And that is Blue Bayou. And honestly, all three of these films that I'm mentioning today literally have no relation to each other other than the fact that they were all sort of based in Louisiana. Um, they could not be more different in terms of genre, audience, themes, storylines, whether it's based on reality, whether it's based on a book, whether it's based on a fairy tale, they're all so freaking different. Um, and it's kind of cool that, you know, a location can kind of connect, uh, ground so many different movies. So Blue Bayou is a 2021 American drama film written and directed by Justin Chan. And I think as, as a Chinese American or just, you know, just an Asian American, and I think people of color can, of all ethnicities can relate to this, is that when you see someone who's written, directed, and is starring an Asian lead, I just, I, I had to click on it, and it just so happened to be based in Louisiana. And I absolutely love Justin Chan, not just be, also because he is an Asian, but also because he was in the Twilight series, and it's so crazy to see the juxtaposition of the character he played in Twilight, which was this nerdy Asian boy, to who he plays in Blue Bayou, which is a Korean adoptee. So he was born in Korea, adopted by white people in Louisiana, and he has a thick Louisiana Southern accent, and he just plays the role so well. So the story is about a Korean American adoptee and a tattoo artist living just outside of New Orleans with his pregnant wife, Kathy, a rehabilitation nurse, and their daughter, Jessie. Um, her daughter was from a previous marriage, uh, who ironically is a cop, uh, because the thing is, Antonio, Justin's character, is a bit of a thug, right? He has a criminal record, he has a felonies for stealing motorcycles. In the beginning of the film, you see him on a job interview with uh, Jesse, the daughter, sitting on his side, trying to get a job at a repair shop, and they wouldn't hire him because uh, he has felonies for stealing motorcycles. Um, and in the movie, uh, I guess spoiler alert, so if you haven't watched it yet, I highly recommend it. Please go watch it if you haven't yet. It is a brutally honest story about um, immigration and, you know, um, people getting deported. Um, and all of that, and, and it really shows the, the rea reality of, of immigration and deportation in America. But yeah, in, in, in the film, he actually has to go and steal motorcycles again to get the money just to pay for the lawyer that eventually he has to get because, and all this ties wonderfully together, but basically 
you know, Jesse's dad has a cop friend who's like has it out for Antonio and, you know, gets him called into by ICE, which is the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, because even though he was adopted and he's been in the U.S. his whole life, he was adopted in the 80s and his parents, his adopted parents did not file the proper papers. And so that put him up for deportation, even though he had a thick Louisiana accent. But just looking at him, you could tell he was American. But even in the beginning, when he was doing the interview, trying to get a job, you know, they were like, oh, where are you from? And he said, you know, just outside of New Orleans. And they were like, no, but where are you really from? And he's like, oh, yeah, uh, my parents are from, you know, I was born in Korea. Because you see an Asian face and you just see, I guess, a face that's not white and you just assume, oh, they're not American. And that is just unfortunately a a huge reality for people of color in America. It it is part of the narrative of being a, you know, non-white American. Unfortunately, that's just the truth. And I highly recommend if you are interested at all in this topic of race and being Asian in America to check out my podcast with Elisa So. She's one of my friends who is also an Asian American. And yeah, we talk a lot about the struggles of, you know, being Asian and being in America. It's really good. I highly recommend you check it out. Uh, And I shout out to Elisa. Love you so much, girl. Definitely need you back on this podcast. So we are actually nearing the half hour mark. Wow, this went by fast. Um, I'm going to have to do some rapid fire because I have also watched a bunch of other things across a bunch of different platforms. So yeah, the first thing I want to shout out is Encanto. And shout out to Michaela who loves this movie so much. She's watched it six times. Um, We also watched this movie when we were in New Orleans, but I fell asleep. So I, whenever I... I was now quarantined at home with COVID. I decided to rewatch it and it's amazing. It's cute. It's a lovely little Disney film. It is having its own moment on TikTok. It's becoming one of Disney's most watched films. One of the songs in it, We Don't Talk About Bruno, has fans buzzing. It has hit a musical milestone. The song has peaked at number four on the Billboard Hot 100, surpassing Frozen's Oscar winning Let It Go, which has hit number five. And there are just so many fun little Easter eggs in the movie. Like, for example, in that song, um, Bruno, who is one of the brothers uh, in the family, and he kind of has to go into hiding. And um, you can actually see him in the background of the song as, you know, when they're like, we don't talk about Bruno, but he's actually in the background because, spoiler alert, he's hiding in the walls. So creepy. (laughs) It's actually not that creepy. I mean, it is, but, you know, it's Disney, so they make it cute. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, highly recommend it. And if you have seen it, watch it again. I mean, there are a lot of little hidden Easter eggs in it. Like for example, um, during the scene where the little the little boy has to go up to the door to do his whole, um, you know, seeing what his magic power is going to be, and they're all clapping for him. You can see uh, the girl who can hear things very well. Dolores, she actually is um, clapping with her fingers um, because she just, noise is just so sensitive to her. Little things like that, which are just super, super cool. Um, I've also watched Luca. Luca is such a sweet, awesome, queer positive, I feel, um, little Disney Pixar movie. Um, And it also had its moment on TikTok when it's like, 
if you don't watch TikTok, then you don't know. But it's like the, there's a thing where it's like Silencio Bruno, uh, and uh, that has become a huge sound on TikTok. Um, so it's really cute. I'm glad I actually now know the reference and I know the movie and I know everything in the background with that. Loved it. Very cute. Would say it's a bit of a slower story than Encanto, but still beautiful nevertheless. Um, what else have I watched? I finally finished New Girl. Finally. Actually, no, I finished that really, really fast. Like, Netflix was, I have many times, Netflix was like, are you still watching? And then I would have to be like, yes, don't ask me again. I'm still binge watching New Girl. And yeah, like I said last episode, I I saw on TikTok, someone said that they referenced Bear, a bear in every episode. And uh, it's so interesting. That's something that I missed the first time watching it. And even rewatching it, I missed it. But then I knew about the Easter egg and I, I saw it. And it's, it's fun how they incorporate that in every single episode. And I've watched so many different things. Um, but the last thing I do want to mention that I've now am currently watching is Marvelous Miss Maisel. And I know this came out in 2017 and Rachel Brosnahan, the main actress, actually won an Emmy for um, being an outstanding comedy series and being the main actress for that. And I know it's a hugely acclaimed thing and I never got into it. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm stuck at home. I need something new to watch. Usually I'm a person that gravitates to things that I've already watched and just binging them. So I was like, no, I want to start something new. And for me, it's always hard to get into something new. So I was like, okay, I'm going to give it the first episode. I'm going to watch it. And if I'm not hooked, I'm not hooked. And let me tell you, after that first episode, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm hooked. It is amazing. It follows the life of a 1950s, early 60s housewife. Um, she has a knack for stand-up comedy and decides to pursue a career in it. And it's just so cool to see the 1950s in color like that. Seeing all the outfits, you know, all of the traditions, the, 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 the women's fitness classes, the way they do their hair, their makeup, the way the men act, the, 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 the absolute crazy misogyn- misogyny in it. Like the fact that her husband leaves her and her parents are like, what did you do wrong to have your husband leave you? Even though he was the one that ended up having an affair and, and leaving her. It's, it's insane. It's crazy. Um, and the comedy and it's just so fresh and so fun. And I'm really enjoying that series right now. And uh, yeah, one more, one more thing that I've been watching. So I've been watching so many things. Another thing that I started is How I Met Your Father starring Hilary Duff. So it's a spinoff-ish. Um, it's made by the same, I think, producers of How I Met Your Mother. And you guys know that I love, love, love How Much Mother. It's my comfort show. It's my favorite show. I watch it at least once a year. Um, and so I thought I'd get How I Met Your Father a try. It's pretty good. Um, I wouldn't say it's like Marvelous Miss Maisel captured my love and my heart and my my devotion and my obsession attention. But probably still watch it i mean like the new episodes are coming out and i and i'm actually like i'll watch the next one it's fun it's a fun show and um i think they do a really cool job of incorporating some elements of how our mother in it like for example in the first season they say you know 
the boys in the show, they their apartment, they're like, oh, your your apartment's really cool. And they're like, yeah, uh, these really nice donors from Wesleyan University gave it to us. And they even left their swords on the wall. And like, if you know How I Met Your Mother, there's this huge scene where Ted and Marshall are dueling with swords and they, and they have this fight about when Lily moves in and... Um, then Ted has to take his swords down. There's manly swords, and they actually have a duel about it. And they cut Lily's dress, etc. And so yeah, they have they have the swords up there, and they have the same layout of the apartment that Ted and Marshall had. And I thought that was just so cool. I loved it. It was a nice little touch. So, whew, yeah, um, that's a little bit of the things I've been watching this past two weeks, and. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being patient with me. Um, Stay safe out there, everyone. And yeah, until next time, love y'all. Thanks for listening. Hope you have a daisy-ish day.